Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So the Onyx Hunt app has basically replaced my need to carry a GPS in the field at just about any time. So I've relied on my phone to do this and one of the biggest things that, you know, I had a concern with for the first few years of carrying both and, you know, everyone else that I've heard the their complaint is, you know, what happens when your phone battery gets drained because of it. So what you can do is you can actually download these maps ahead of time through their offline feature. And once you download these maps to your phone, you can turn it onto airplane mode and run your phone as a GPS without you trying to search for signal in areas that you don't have cell signal. So that will really extend the life of your battery. And well, actually your phone will probably run longer than a standard GPS would on batteries uh, from that standpoint. So it's very useful to utilize that offline feature, download those maps when you have Wi-Fi, when you have service ahead of time, and you'll be in a lot better place. To check out the Hunt app, you can go to onxmaps.com and use the code EMW to save yourself 20% off the premium and elite memberships. The University of Elk Hunting, so Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available today. And it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or you're someone that's been doing this for a long time. There's a lot of things you can learn from this course. Think of just you know years and years of elk hunting knowledge poured into one course from the planning phases all the way through the, the fitness, gear, calling, the elk hunting behavior, the elk behavior, and all the way to the meat packing and processing. So th- there's a ton of information there. And if you sign up for the course now with the code East Meets West, you'll save yourself 20% off and get 20 extra entries to win an Elk 101 truck. They're giving away a pretty nice uh, truck here. I believe they're giving it away in November. So you still have some time to be able to check that out and prepare for elk hunting. And Maven Optics. So Maven's direct-to-consumer business model has allowed them to be able to come out with the highest quality optics at half the price of their European competitors. So their glass is very, it's clear, it's crisp. The edge, the edge quality is amazing. The clarity and everything is ED glass. Is They use Japanese glass inside the, the Maven Optics. And in the B series, the components are assembled right here in the United States. So if you wanna check out Maven Optics, you can go over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT to get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. All right, so this episode of the podcast, it was one that I co-hosted with a good friend of mine, Clint Campbell from the Truth From The Stand podcast. I love doing podcasts with Clint. He's an awesome guy, you know, whether I've been a guest on his show or he's been on this podcast before and we decided at the the BHA the backcountry hunters and anglers muster in the mountains to just do something together and so that's what we did and this one is with Brian Burham who is the the executive director of the Pennsylvania Game Commission and it's all surrounding Sunday hunting public lands and everything else Pennsylvania hunting and the reason for this podcast releasing right now is it's a very crucial time in, you know, everyone that does support Sunday hunting. And I'll kind of explain that. So the Pennsylvania chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has made the repeal of Pennsylvania's Sunday hunting ban its top legislative issue. That we believe that the restrictions amount to basically a no hunting sign on the whole state for half of the time that most of us have to hunt, which are the weekends. So in June, Senate Bill 147 was amended, which basically what that is, is it allowed for Sunday hunting 
and they agreed on three days of Sunday hunting and to strengthen trespass laws. And that made it through the Pennsylvania Senate and was referred to the House Game and Fisheries Committee. So while that's making historic progress in the fight to end the ban on Sunday hunting, the battle is far from over. We really want to be able to have all Sundays um, to be able to hunt like just about every other state in uh, in the country. So with the House Game and Fisheries Committee set to hold a public hearing on Sunday hunting on Tuesday, September 10th, which is just coming up next week, we once again have a really prime opportunity to weigh in with the lawmakers. So it's important that your representatives know that you support the bill and wanted to get a vote in the in the full house. So if you would, I am going to have a link in the show notes. Take a minute to tell your lawmakers to stop ignoring the needs of us hunters and, you know, vote basically to, you know, bolster our hunting heritage by repealing that ban that's just it's just an old law that that hasn't changed. So I'll have a link there and it's it's really simple. BHA fill the everything's filled out for you all you basically do is put your name and your email and your address in there and the reason for your address is it just show it'll send it to the right representative of your area and it takes less than a minute and you can have it sent over and show your support for sunday hunting if you want to take another step you can call that representative's office yourself and really try to make a difference but Remember, they're meeting here Tuesday, September 10th, which is only you know a few days away. So, taking action on this immediately would really you know help out and try to try to do that. You can get you know some more information on BHA's full Sunday hunting statement on their website, backcountryhunters.org, and you know get some more information there. So, I, I wanted to give a little update because we recorded this podcast back in June, and some of this stuff you know, is, is new since we did that recording. So I, I think it's really important. And I mean, I know there's some people that don't agree with Sunday hunting and, you know, that's, that's fine, but I'd really like you to keep an open mind with it and, and look at it from a whole bunch of standpoints that we'll talk about here in this podcast. So I guess, uh, without further ado here, we'll jump right into the podcast with myself Clint Campbell and Ryan Burham. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of this podcast, which is co-branded with my good buddy Bo Martonic of uh, East Meets Me- East Meets <laughs> <laughs> Words in English are good. East Meets West podcast, and of course, Clint here from the Truth from the Stand podcast. Yeah, so uh, Clint, this is good to be on another episode here with you, kind of going through and co-hosting it and and super excited to have brian on here today to to talk a little bit yeah super excited to talk about our home state of pennsylvania that's right that's right we had land on a little earlier talked a little bit probably more nationally we drilled down into pa just a little bit but uh our guest today is brian burhans of the pennsylvania game commission which i've wanted to have someone on from the pa game commission for quite some time considering that i'm from pennsylvania grew up hunting pennsylvania and that's kind of was my you know, uh, of, of course, with our heavy tradition of hunting or whatever, I'm always wanting to have someone's perspective from from the state level. So appreciate you coming on. Thanks for joining. Oh, me. thanks for having me. You bet, man. So I think first, before we dive into some of the juicier topics, there's been a lot going on in Pennsylvania with the laws and um, some adaptations of, of laws and so forth. Um, so before we kind of jump into all that, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a sense of you know your background, the role you have with the PA Game Commission, and kind of how you got to that point. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm the executive director for the agency, and you know, as I was growing up as a kid, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, I always wanted to work for the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and uh, I came up through the ranks. I'm trained as a wildlife biologist, uh, and uh, in my career, I've worked in a number of states as a biologist in Florida and Virginia. Then I moved into nonprofit work with two conservation organizations. I was with the National Wild Turkey Federation in South Carolina for about 12 years, and then uh, took over as a CEO for the American Chestnut Foundation, which is an organization restoring, developing blight-resistant trees to restore to, to uh, the eastern United States. So. And then I had the opportunity to come back here to Pennsylvania. So it took me a while, but I finally found my way back in, and I got a chance to work with the most amazing state wildlife agency in the country. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome that you got to have that that perspective that's, you know, outside just Pennsylvania, too, to kind of see how each, you know, state runs things and I'm sure helps with 
with your current role. Absolutely. You know, you, you would think that every state's different, and every state is different, but every state's the same, too. Um, but people are people. And, yeah. Uh, right. But it, it's, it's a great agency, great state. I mean, we are so blessed here in Pennsylvania to have, you know, over 6 million acres of land open to public hunting. Pennsylvania Game Commission owns and manages 1.5 million acres of, nice. of ground that's specifically managed for wildlife as the priority uh, management technique. So, we're lucky in Pennsylvania, and having lived in many other states where it's hard to find a place to hunt, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, it's almost like falling off a log. Right. Yeah, we got, we, <laughs> there's no shortage of hunting opportunities in PA. Yeah. You know, I think the misconception a lot of folks have, you know, in Pennsylvania, you'll hear people talk about there's not a lot of hunting. Well, you, some folks will say that, right? I think those are the folks who maybe are referring to, um, you know, private access, maybe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because for me, it's like I moved, I grew up in what I refer to as Pennsylvania. You know, <laughs> the middle part of the state, um, and grew up predominantly on private land. We have family-owned farms and stuff like that. So I really never hunted public until I got until I got older. Now we still have those family farms, and I actually gravitate now toward the public just because of all the opportunity that's there. Moved to the eastern part of the state when I grew up in the you know central and western part of the state. Had no really understanding of the public land opportunities on the eastern part of the state, but now that's really kind of all I. All I hunt, I think I do like maybe three hunts a year on our family property, you know, and then 95% of the rest of my hunting yeah. in Pennsylvania is public yeah. lands. You know? I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania when, when I was a kid hunting in the, you know, 70s and 80s. You just knocked on doors and you always got some place to hunt. Yeah. And the place I used to walk out my back door and literally deer hunt was because I came up as a bow hunter. Uh, today, the landowner won't let you on there. And a right. lot of the land has been posted. People are kept out. You know, I live in the Harrisburg area now. And for me, it's just a short drive to... You know, one of our biggest roadless areas that are state game lands, state game lands to 11, uh, 53,000 acres. Um, and it's just amazing the opportunities. That's just one. There's yeah. many more right around there. Well, it's, it's crazy. Like, so I, I grew up in Elk County, and that's where I currently live. And just in northern PA alone, there's 2 million acres of public land, you know, whether that's, you know, game commission managed or there's, there's state forest or there's the Allegheny National Forest, you know, all that stuff is so many opportunities. And I was talking on the earlier podcast, when I moved to the Pittsburgh area, I didn't realize how lucky <laughs> I was. I took it all for granted. And yeah. like that, and we have all these opportunities. And even down there, I found a bunch of places after you look. But there's, there's just so much, and there's so many different seasons and just places to be able to go. And Pennsylvania is... I feel lucky to, you know, have grown up here and, and still live here, you know. It's great because, I mean, I grew up like Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, even Virginia. If you were willing to write a check for $1,200, you had a place to hunt. And right. you had a lot of people hunting on that small little chunk of land yeah. up here. You, you know, there are there is some leasing that goes on in the state, but with so much public land, it's just, it's just I mean, it's really, truly God's country up right. here. Yeah. I want to ask you, given you've had a, a pretty, you know, um, a diverse background in terms of where you've lived and working in the in, in the outdoors, you know, across you know a bunch of different states. You know, knowing and we'll get to some of the policy stuff that's mm-hmm. going on in Pennsylvania now. But do you see a similarity between the hunters of those states, or are they different in terms of what they want? Right. So Sunday hunting, and we'll get to that, is yeah. a big topic in PA. But I'm just curious if like the attitudes and maybe even the awareness of what's going on with hunting, public lands, laws that are going to impact them, are they any more or less aware than the folks in PA? And kind of what's their kind of mindset? I think the Pennsylvania hunter is seems to be very aware of what's mm-hmm. going on. I think there is definitely a cultural difference between the southeast, where you know the state has far less hunters, the seasons are far more liberal. Um, so the culture in Pennsylvania, you see this in Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio to an extent as well, there's a different culture there because there's so many hunters out there competing for what is a finite resource. Yeah. Um, you know, again, as you get down to the southeast, you know, it's, it's just not as many hunters, so the competition for the resource isn't as high. Um, and in Pennsylvania, you know, every state is a traditionalist. You know, we, I, it, I'm not going to pick on Pennsylvania because they're really no more traditional than any other state. Uh, but, you know, there are some things like Sunday hunting, which is all the other states have been able to shake that off their back and finally unravel that and get rid of it uh, because it's such a detriment to hunting and conservation. Um, Pennsylvania, you know, it's a tough state, you know, because, again, I the competition for the limited resources that we have and we have a lot of resources here in the state and you know we just didn't do it that way before and you know i get communications from hunters all the time and you know some of the anecdotal funniest ones are you know i don't want another day because i need to rest 
Yeah, like, yeah. Like you don't have to go out and hunt. You don't have to go out <laughs> yeah. and hunt. So. But, but my buddy Bob, he's going to be out hunting, and he might get my buck. So, again, there's a lot of competition in this state. And oh, yeah. <laughs> these, this, the sunny hunting thing is really, you know, I, I always tell the story uh, when I'm up talking to people about Sunday hunting is that I, I, I do this for Nolan. Nolan's my 25-year-old son, lives in uh, North Carolina, recently graduated from Western Carolina. And when we were growing, when he was growing up in South Carolina, we had, you know, I worked for a nonprofit, National Wild Turkey Federation. We, we worked all the time in, when you work, when volunteers work. Right. So, but Sunday after church was our time to go out and go turkey hunting. And we did that. And that's really all the time I had with him. We did a lot of turkey hunting together, but it was Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. We did skip church a couple of times if it was really right. hot. But, right. uh, <laughs> he, you know, to this day, my son's a diehard turkey hunter, and I don't think he'd be a hunter today if it wasn't for that opportunity we had on sunday because he really doesn't hunt deer at all right they started getting into waterfowl hunting a little more but it's because we had that sunday and there's so many people like me i was early career at that time i didn't have much time um you know i had lots of time off but having time to take off and being able to take off time are two different different things two different things so um you know i'm really grateful that my son grew up in a state that allowed sunday hunting and I'm, i'm i'm glad I didn't raise my son here in Pennsylvania through those important years right? Uh, because I don't know if I would have been able to keep him in hunting. I know so many kids that come from hunting families that really never get into hunting, right. um, and it's unfortunate to see. Yeah, I mean, I know for me growing up, it was it, hunting was a big thing in my family. It was like it was a birthright. Yeah. When you turned 12, you were going to hunt. It was come hell or high water. That was kind of <laughs> was the approach, right? My dad worked third shift, you know, so it wasn't like he had a lot of time to take me out, but I was fortunate in the sense that we owned a bunch of land. So once I became kind of old enough and he introduced me, I could grab a shotgun and go out and turkey hunt after school in the fall yeah. or whatever I wanted to do, and it wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. I think it's super impactful for those folks who, who don't own land, and it's a um, – I don't want to say a process, but it's, a, it's an act to get out into the timber, right, and introduce a, you know, a kid to the timber or an adult for that, yeah. for that matter, right? Um, you touched on something that I want to kind of circle back to, and you and, – because I don't think people think about – think about it in this sense. You said, you know, not having Sunday hunting is, uh, is, is a detriment to conservation, right? And I think any hunter worth their salt, if, you know, if, if they truly care about not just the tradition, but what it means for, you know, access to public lands and what it means for, you know, making sure things are properly funded. So you have the type of hunting that you want to have and all those things like how, like, I don't think they see the connection between the two sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess just give me some examples of what you mean by, you know, su- not having Sunday hunting is a detriment to conservation. It lessens our ability. It's one more hurdle we have to cross to be able to introduce and keep people into hunting, trapping, angling. You know, when you look at how conservation was set up in North America, you know, look at Teddy Roosevelt and all these heroes we have of conservation. It was the hunters that actually made that happen. It's not only the license dollars that the hunters provide that supports a big bulk of conservation in in the whole continent or in North America, but more important than that, it's the passion. Mm-hmm. The hunters have always been, it's their passion that has driven their actions to make conservation succeed. It isn't just writing a check. Writing mm-hmm. a check isn't going to gift you anywhere if nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Hunters care. They care about the resource. They care about conservation. Yeah. It's that passion that has driven conservation uh, in this country and made it what it is today. I mean, we have we talk about this North American model of wildlife conservation and it has several tenets about it. And simply being that, you know, the wildlife belong to the people. The states manage it. We're entrusted to manage it for the people. And we make this available to everybody. You know, you can't own wildlife and just because you can write a big check, you're the only one that gets to hunt that deer or that elk or that turkey. You know, the wildlife are out for all of us to enjoy. And we need to make sure that we save that heritage for the long term. Yeah, hundred. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And we, we touched on that a little bit with Land when we were talking to him because it was yeah. more about that passion. And, and I think he put it poetically whenever he was giving his you know kind of opening ceremony speech here that it's about those one on one conversations and it's about the communication. And you don't get that if there's not passion. No. Right. And it, you can't. You can't replace that with a check. Yeah. You no. can't replace that with. You know, you know, a land donation. As much as we like land donations, right, for for things, whether it's public land donation or like someone, you know, like we have here, someone offering up their farm for an event that, that's important. Um, but you can't replace that passion and that one-on-one conversation yeah. that's had. It comes down to people. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I mean, and to go back a little bit to what you were saying about, you know, like with taking your son out, you only only had uh, Sundays. I think of it specifically. I have a younger cousin of mine. He's in, he's in probably in high school now or middle school somewhere in there but 
we come from a really strong hunting family, but he's in school five days a week, and then he has football games on Saturdays. So yeah. he looks, and then he, he can't get out, you know, until the seasons. Maybe he'll get out a couple of days a year at most, you know, and and he likes it and wants to do it, but it doesn't have those opportunities. And who knows if maybe that you know liking it will just turn into I don't really care about it anymore. And there's you know one more person that we lost in the next generation that's going to be. That's, you know, what we're looking for. We need that next generation yeah. to keep going up, you I know? I mean, what other recreational activity has a day you can't do it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, think about yeah. it. If you were yeah. a golfer and you couldn't hunt on, or if you couldn't golf on Saturdays, how right. long would golf courses stay in place? If you were a skier and you could only ski, you couldn't ski on Sunday, how many ski places would close down? Hunting is the same thing. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, it's not only that is it's about private property landowner rights as well. You know, you pay the taxes on that land, you manage that land, you may farm that land or raise timber on that land, but whatever it is, it's your land. And then somebody's coming in and telling you can't do a recreational activity on a certain day. Right. It it defies all common sense. It's what blows my mind a little bit, right, is that, you know, demographically speaking, right, our, our hunting group is, if you were to create a bell curve or some type of chart we would all probably lean more on the on the right side of the political spectrum Mm -hmm. right to a degree um in that sphere like we're more interested in less regulation let me kind of manage my own destiny right the left side is more about oversight regulation and big and big brothering to a degree and i'm not making i'm not going to get political here because i'm not making the argument that one's better than the other but like if you just look at it on the surface those are type two kind of principles of each mm-hmm. side right and it kind of blows my mind that we don't like regulation on the on the right whenever whenever it's related to, to business or almost anything else but when it comes to hunting we want the regulation yeah you know what i mean and to me that's the part for me that, I, that i'm kind of i don't want to use the word hypocrite because that, that's a strong word but it's like you, it just doesn't make sense no and you look at one of the big arguments you'll hear from some people say, well, we want that day we, our family can be out and we can feel safe. Now, let's not, yeah. let's not uh, lessen their concern about safety. Right. Uh, everyone has a voice. Everybody yeah. has a voice, and they have a real concern. Yeah, valid Whether concern. or not it's valid and, and reflected in what actually is occurring out there yeah. is, is different. So I'm not going to in any way belittle individuals that feel maybe insecure or not safe out there. But let's look at some facts and some realities. For example, I hear this from some of the hiking groups all the time. And I'm a backpacker. Mm-hmm. I like to get out there and hike the Appalachian Trail um, through Pennsylvania. And when I'm doing it, most of the time it is on a Saturday right. during archery season, uh, even during muzzleloader season. Um, I'll be out during the hunting season hiking. Do I worry? Absolutely not. Now, I also know the statistics behind hunting incidents. And hunting, right. I'm far more in any danger of, of going to the trailhead right. than yeah. I am being in a hunting incident in fact we just got through spring turkey season where nobody even wears resin orange and we didn't have one single incident so the argument about hunting being dangerous is completely a fallacy it's it's not true at all now folks with a concern about feeling safe that's a real thing to them because that's a feeling that's a feeling with them yeah um but the reality of it is you know, look at archery season in October. They're in camouflage up a tree. Nobody even knows they're there. Um, yeah. I don't you know, know how many times on public land I've watched a guy because I hunt some walk right su- underneath suburban you. areas, yeah. right where a guy comes walking his dog, and I'm 20 feet up watching him walk his dog, like in a, yeah, get my binos on him, check him out, try to see what kind of dog he's got. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like <laughs> the guy's none the wiser that I'm that I'm there. Yeah. You know, so I didn't mean to interrupt. But. No, you know, and I think what, one of the things that frustrates some of our hunters, you look at our Pennsylvania game lands uh, that the agency has acquired. Um, you know, the funding from that has come from a lot of places, actually. Some great partners have helped us fund that. Uh, Pittman-Robertson, which from the Pittman-Robertson Act has helped fund. So that's shooters and hunters mm-hmm. that are help funding that. We get land donations, and we have so many great nonprofits here in Pennsylvania that help us uh, acquire these lands. But hunters still have a lot of skin in that game, and they're being told, that, well, that day a week, you can't even go on game lands. Right. So, you know, that, that that's why they're so frustrated with this. And, yeah. again, crippling, we're, we're, nationally we're seeing a, a decline in hunter numbers. Um, and I think Sunday hunting is just one more nail in the coffin that doesn't have to be there. Right. So we've been kind of dancing around the, the, the Sunday hunting topic, so let's just kind of jump right in. So, you know, I've done some reading on it and so forth, and I've always kind of been aware of the blue laws growing up mm-hmm. because, you know, it also <laughs> – Maybe as a youth, it was more impactful because, you know, you couldn't get a six-pack on Sundays or whatever, right? That might be how some people are introduced to it. You can't sell cars on Sundays, right? There's a lot of different blue laws. So can you give us, like, a little bit of a historical context of, like, where the blue law kind of came from, yeah. how hunting 
what came about to not be, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, in, historically speaking? If you look at, especially in, the, in Pennsylvania, um, with the uh, Christian religious atmosphere, strong, strong here in Pennsylvania, um, you know, basically, and if you do the research on the blue laws while they're put in place, it's, it's quite apparent. I mean, it's stated. Their job was to keep your butt in a pew at church on Sunday. Yeah. That was the job of the blue laws was to keep you in church and not doing something else. Um, and I get that, but, you know, that should be up to an individual of when they're going to do their worship and when they do their worship and, and how they consider uh, hunting as whether it's work or recreation or whatever their beliefs are. That's, mm-hmm. that's something that's personal, something yeah. that yeah. makes, at least to me, no sense that it's mandated by law to keep my butt in church. Right. Um, you know, whether you go to church or you don't go to church, Having Sunday hunting or not having Sunday hunting is not going to keep you in church or keep you out of church. Well, yeah, not you know. just that, but it's like I know plenty of folks, you know, who, you know, my good buddy, actually, he's a um, he's a youth pastor, right, mm-hmm. heavily involved in the church. And he probably wouldn't Sunday hunt as much, and he's stated as, as much just because, like, he has, his job is to be in church, right, yeah. like, to, to work. But, like, I know for a fact, like, for him, it's like part of his spirituality comes from being in the timber, Right, and mm-hmm. so to tell someone that they can't worship in a place because it doesn't fit the the model that you think worship should take place in seems a little antiquated. You, know you think mean? about it, hunting creates a lot of opportunity for us to contemplate. Yeah. Yes, it does. Hundred <laughs> percent. We were talking about that earlier. Like, I, I talk about this almost any time I talk to hunting or talk hunting with somebody is like that's my place to unravel my mind. You know yeah. what I mean, and get a perspective on not just you know, where I fit into things, right? Not to get all, you know, hippy dippy here, a little crunchy, but, you know, to think about, you know, you know, what, what am I doing? Like, where's my, what's my place? You know, am I doing the things the right way that I think that I should be doing them? Like all those things. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you come away with when you have nothing but time on your hands, right? I always hope a deer comes by and interrupts it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but <laughs> that'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. I try not to get too far into it that I don't uh, miss the deer walking by. Right. But. <laughs> well, hunting means, you know, a lot yeah. of things to different people, but I'm with you. I mean, Part of what hunting provides me is kind of that charge down, that that kind of release of you know you're forced not to do anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Where else do you go when you're when you're in your job or at the office, wherever you work? I mean, it's constant go 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 go. You can't you can't slack for a second. You know, as human beings, you cannot keep that pace forever. And for me, hunting provides that opportunity. And I'm a big turkey hunter, especially in the spring, which provides me more napping opportunities. My secret to turkey <laughs> right. hunting. So you know, to me. You know, I don't get to hunt that much because of my career path, but, you know, the time I do get out there is so very precious to me. And yeah. and for to be told that, well, that day's off limits to you, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's to me, it's crushing because right. yeah. you know, I love to hunt. It's not like I can't, can't have solitude on a Sunday anyway. Right. I love to hunt. That's what yeah. I love to do. I was born a hunter. I've always been a hunter my whole life, and I'm going to continue to hunt. Right. Yeah, I think one of the challenging things, you know, another aspect of it is it just kind of came to me is that you know more and more people are moving away from rural settings because of job opportunities or lack thereof in in more rural settings right and i'm a prime example of this because i grew up in rural pa i would love nothing more than to live in rural pa and have be able to hunt out my back door right but for what i do for a living it's just not just not possible um and then you know not similarly but you know to build on to that you know my dad lives in north carolina right and it's hard for he and i to get together to share a hunt based on our work schedules and stuff like that and when he has time to travel all the way up from north carolina to pennsylvania to hunt and a lot of times we'll miss a hunting opportunity because you know he has maybe something he has to do friday late he can't get out till whatever time he's going to drive up get there late friday night have to wake up early saturday morning and then turn right back around and go home and that extra day of hunting that sunday is probably a day that he would probably come up because he would get two days in to hunt versus one day that most of it's going to be travel, you know, and we're going to get to see each other for two hours, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, we get back from, from hunting, and then he's got to get out of there. Yeah. And there's no opportunity for the next day. I'm saying, but when I lived out of state, I probably came up and, I mean, let's look at it. Out of state, non-resident hunting license is only $100. Yep. Probably the cheapest non-resident license I'm aware of. But I only came up during my, I don't know, 18, 20 years living in the southeast, twice that I can recall. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm only going to be able to hunt one day. You know, my yeah. son now lives in North Carolina. I've got better turkey hunting up here in Pennsylvania than they do in North Carolina. But I'm going to go probably hunt with him in North Carolina. Why? Because he, he's he's a young professional. He's in a new job. He doesn't have this time off. So we'll be able to hunt Saturday and Sunday together. So for me to make a 10-hour trip down there, 
and then a 10 hour trip it. back yeah. i want to make sure i can spend some time with them yeah. doing something we enjoy to do but to come up here and do it for you know especially early season all i got is till noon so he comes up he hunts for eight hours and we're done right yeah. now, one I mean, more time than that I and mean, that was exactly what i was going to say next about the non-resident thing so i have a bunch of buddies from different states and everything and i'll go say i go to ohio to hunt i'll go for a long weekend i'll drive out friday night camp hunt saturday sunday drive back sunday night and they won't buy a tag here because they're like, oh, we only get one day to do that. And they, I've had, you know, just in my small circle of people that I know, be like, I'd buy, you know, a hunting license in Pennsylvania, a non-resident license, if I could hunt Sundays. Because it's not that it's the lack of opportunity or the hunting that they're not buying them. It's just the lack of time. Right. Because I think, you know, I think that was maybe true whenever I was growing up as far as like the caliber or the quality of the hunt. You know, if, if it's, if it's you know, whether it's antler size, and I'm talking deer specifically here, of course, you know, whether it's, you know, bone on the, on the head or just age structure, right? I know growing up, like there were some struggles, especially in the area that I, you know, grew up in, but now, you know, I, I don't ever remember growing up seeing the caliber of deer that I see, that I see now and more and more consistently. So there are definitely pockets in PA where it's like, if you're a hunter from Maryland or even Ohio, that you can get on some really, really good deer. And it's and, and based on the cost of a non-resident license, Especially if you tag out in Ohio and you live near Pittsburgh, there's no reason why you couldn't or shouldn't hunt Western PA because Western PA has some great deer, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, I, just think about the amount, the additional amount of dollars we could pull in, you know, to help our public lands or whatever, however it's spent, if we could attract some of those non-resident hunters to get them to spend that hundred bucks or whatever it is on that tag to extend their hunting season. Yeah, we're sending them out of state right now. I don't oh, know how yeah. many friends I work with or know. That either have gotten into a lease or bought land in New York yep. or Ohio because uh, they can go up there and they can hunt that that Saturday Sunday. I know yep. I'm going to be buying a, a New York uh, out of state license because I have a yep. turkey dog and I got a lot invested in this dog. I want to get out and use them. Yep. I got to work Monday through Friday like the rest of the world. Yep. Um, so we're going to head you know head up to uh, New York. Uh, we may hit Pennsylvania for maybe a day, but I'm definitely going to New York because I can hunt that Sunday. Right. And I do the same thing. I buy. I, I go to Ohio every year, and that's usually like when I. I get out a lot during the course of the early season, but I mean, once late October hits, it's like I usually have a, a two week trip to Ohio to, to hunt basically from the beginning of November to, to mid November to almost Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Because I can hunt, you know, all week and I don't have, I can watch the weather and pick which days I'm going to hunt because I don't have to worry about, man, I can't hunt Sunday. So it's like if the weather's like iffy on Saturday, I'm, it's like I probably needed to risk it and take a chance, you know, because I'm not going to get to hunt Sunday and then I'm back to work Monday, you know? So I want to ask you, you know, of course, we're in the throes of us making, when I say us, you know, the hunt, the hunting population that supports, you know, Sunday hunting, we're probably in the best place that we've ever been in terms of pushing that agenda forward to hopefully opening the opportunity. Oh, it's never, I don't think it's ever been this far. Yeah. Um, you know, so can, so the original proposal that it, that it went through earlier this year, it went through as like Sunday hunting wholesale, like we want, want Sunday hunting, and it, and it passed. I think then it went to the Senate, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Well, it started in the Senate. It started in the Senate. Went to the yeah. 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 And so what has happened now is that they're they're entertaining it still, but we made some accommodations, which always happens when you go through any type of policy, you know, updates mm-hmm. and, and trying to massage some laws, right? Um, you know, so it came out slightly changed. Can you talk a little bit about how it was proposed and what some of the changes are and why we would make sure. some of those changes? And how it was proposed is very simple. Uh, you know, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, you know, we're an independent wildlife, state wildlife agency. Our job is, legislature says, you are responsible for managing the state's wildlife habitat. The Sunday hunting, being an old blue law, has always been on the books, though. You can manage it, but you just can't do it on that day. You know, and right. we're, we're required by law to manage wildlife with the primary means of hunting and trapping. Mm-hmm. So those are our tools that are given at our disposal and uh, to, to manage these wildlife populations. So... It's always been on the books that, you know, you can't touch Sunday, but you do the best you can with everything else. And the agency's done a wonderful job uh, for 125 years. Mm-hmm. So done a great job. The bill pr- original proposal was basically to say, okay, you have now, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, you now have the authority to determine where Sunday hunting would occur, which Sundays you would pick for Sunday hunting. You know, we have the subject matter experts. We have the biologists that research the populations. Uh, we have the data that can show what they can support and what they can't support and adjust seasons and bag limits and all those things. Um, so we have, that's, that's, that's our wheelhouse. That's, that's what we do. So the bill originally was to say, okay, we're going to finally fix this and say, you know, that's, that's 
your now responsibility to determine where to put these Sundays. Now, we have a very specific process we have to follow as an agency uh, before we implement these seasons of bags or any regulations we do. We have a process where we have two commission meetings. There's public comment. There's written comments. There's a whole process that takes months and months and months to go through. It's not that we can say, okay, we want those. No, we have to go through the process and work through the process. We listen to landowners. We listen to the hunters, the bow hunters, the rifle hunters. You know, they all have their voice. And then uh, our eight-member board of commissioners who are nominated by the governor, they're confirmed by the Senate, but they're the board. So it's different. This is kind of the way wildlife agencies were originally structured, which is the best model for wildlife management, which is these independent agencies. Because then the board can listen to this public input listen to the scientists, put all this together, and then try to make the best decision they can uh, for the resource and for the hunters and for the people. So that's what the original bill was to give that authority back to the game or give it to the game commission to go through that regulatory process and make that decision. But wildlife policy is like a a sausage grinder. What goes in isn't always what it comes out. So I think, you know, my best guess, my interpretation of what has come out is, this is what we think we can do now, you know, right. and, and it is about negotiation and, and sometimes it's a step at a time incremental towards where you want to go. Right. Yeah. And what I had most recently read, you know, was that they're looking at now moving it forward still, but looking at an opportunity to choose three days during one of the hunting seasons, during the breadth of the hunting season in PA and kind of choosing where they want to slot in each one mm-hmm. of those three days during the course, course of the year. Um, which I'm always kind of of the mind, like you said, like everything's a negotiation, right? And I know some folks are up in arms about, you know, we shouldn't have to negotiate something like this because it's it just seems stupid that we don't already well, it have it. It should be based right? on the science. The right. wildlife science would dictate where this is done. Right, but right. let's not ignore the social and political part of it because it's equally it, as important. It's Yeah, it, yeah. as much as you know, we want to call it dirty baseball or whatever, like it's, a, it's, it's a, something that you have to – that exists and you got to work around or, or work with. And so I've always kind of been of the mind, like, yes, I would like to see it pass through fully and have Sunday hunting across the board. Like any other state, as you mentioned, you're like, you're looking at the data and we have plenty of analogs across the country, you know, from Western states to states that are closer to home that probably look more like, like us economically and demographically, you know, whether it's, you know, Ohio, West Virginia, New York, whatever, just pick one. Right. Um, and we have a good analog that we could kind of look and see like, and predict, what the mm-hmm. outcomes are going to be. Um, but at the same time, I always kind of have the mind of like, if we need to prove it, I have no doubt that we can. And so if you want to just give us three days, then give us the three days and we will then prove to you that some of your cons- concerns, while they might be valid because it's your perspective or your perception, right? But we'll, we'll kind of deteriorate that perspective, giving us the opportunity to prove you wrong. Yeah. And I think know? that's, that's the right approach. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and again, you know, We've got a wonderful legislature in the state of Pennsylvania that, you know, you can't just say, well, it's the legislature doing this. Mm-hmm. This they're, they're really a byproduct of the people. They're listening yeah. to their constituents. So it's not that we have crooked politics in Pennsylvania or anything like that or that this group is bad and this group is good. It's just this is the way the system works, yeah. and it doesn't work very fast. And, you know, you look at Washington, D.C. Thank goodness we have gridlock in Washington, D.C. Can you imagine if everything <laughs> ran at, at a moment's glance? We'd right. all be in trouble. So, right. you know, government does work. It is slow, but it's slow for a reason, and it, it works better that way when it's like this. So yeah. Yeah. this whole process, although it frustrates us as hunters, it's still not a bad process. Or process. And, you know, uh, the members of the legislature, they're making tough decisions that impact them and their constituents, mm-hmm. so they really have to pay attention to that. Uh, respect what they do and what they bring to this process. But at the end of the day, I'm a believer that eventually here in Pennsylvania we'll eventually yeah. have Sunday hunting. Right. Well, it's, it's like, so if you think about it, I do this at work too when I have tasks that I'm working on. Okay, say we have a problem and the end goal is this, but getting the end goal might not be, maybe say it's money or it's time or something that you can't get 100% there, but you can have something that you can put in place that's getting you like 80% of the way there, just not 100%. That's one step in the right direction. Yep. For me, I'd rather start moving that way rather than it's all or nothing, you know, that that right. type of thing. And that's well, I mean, kind of how I look at this as far as, yes, I want every Sunday, but let's if, if they're going to give us that little bit of a start, that's good. Let's keep pushing. Yeah, let's you keep know? pushing. You know, yeah. again, you look at the safety record. You know, we have a hugely successful hunter-trapper safety course here in Pennsylvania. You know, started in 1960, 61. Um, and it's been, you look at you look at the track record of safety in Pennsylvania, like other states, and it is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a safe activity to be involved in. And 
Um, you know, so safety isn't the issue. And I understand somebody wants to walk, you know, but the bottom line is Pennsylvania, you know, if for private lands, at least the landowner decides who's on there. Yeah. You know, they can say, no, yep. I don't want anybody hunting on my land. In fact, the agency's offered that will provide you no Sunday hunting land signs for your land. If that's what you, so, right. um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful too. And I think, you know, nothing in Rome wasn't built in a day. So we just kind of have to keep plugging away toward the end goal. But it was but quicker than getting Sunday hunting. It was probably quicker than getting Sunday hunting. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. The uh, So I'm just curious because, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, and maybe it's not a myth, but, you know, I'm curious who's historically opposed Sunday hunting, right? Because, you know, there's always interests in politics, as you mentioned, whether it's your constituents, you know, whether it's, you know, private folks, whether it's business groups or whatever the case is, everyone has an interest in, in, in different things. And so one thing I think historically, and Bo, tell me if you've heard anything different growing up in PA too, like I always heard that the Farm Bureau was one of the biggest oppositions to Sunday hunting on the premise that they're, you know, having the voice of the, of the farmers. And Pennsylvania historically has been a big agricultural state probably until the recent past maybe 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. And that they had a lot of influence because we were an agricultural state, so they held a lot of the, the dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, do you... Is there any truth to that, or where does the opposition come yeah, from? Farm Bureau has been very active in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they uh, have been obviously very influential on this decision. Um, what we've seen recently, though, is a splintering within the Farm Bureau. Uh, there's a lot of farmers that do want Sunday hunting mm-hmm. um, because we've got deer populations that are really hurting. Is you know, you look over the last 20, 30 years, especially. More and more private lands are being restricted to hunting for a number of reasons. You may have a hunt club that doesn't want to shoot any does, and they're mm-hmm. just pounding the heck out of that poor farmer's uh, crops, and he's not able to make a living. Uh, you've got land that's just posted for no hunting at all. Mm-hmm. So the landscape has become fragmented of lands where deer management has been very difficult. Um, so a lot of these hunters are, of, of, you know, a lot of these farmers that I'm hearing from and talk to are opinion, we need as many tools in the toolbox as we can to manage this deer herd so our families can make a living. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of farmers that hunt as well um, that would like to do that. So I think you've seen a, a splittering. Even when you look at hunters, if you look at past surveys of hunters years and years ago, uh, hunters were really split over Sunday hunting. And now you're seeing that movement. Now it's pushed to the positive side, but it's still the younger demographic. It's really mm-hmm. the demographic like we see here today at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. This event today is, you know, you are that group between 25 and 40. Those are the folks that really want Sunday hunting. Right. Uh, you're more older, traditional hunters. You know, some of them still aren't sold on it. Um, you know, I could come up with a bunch of theories why. Right. But, but uh, that that's what we're seeing is that change in, in demographics. Yeah. So... That was so that kind of confirms right. There, there's a there's a dog in the fight there, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the myth. They've been official about their their statement about, about their on the stance. farm room, yeah. right? Yeah. So who's who's you know it, it takes an equal and opposite reaction to move the needle, right? And so you have them in their position that they've been you know clear about. Yeah. So what has the equal and opposite reaction been in support of Sunday hunting? Like where has that where has that come from? Because it's sure you know. It's it as you'd mentioned. It's it's a layered kind of approach, right? It's the constituents, it's business interests, it's all these things, right? So we have the constituents, we have you know the uh, the the populace, right, of people who want hunting. Where did that business interest or that I don't want to say money interest? Well, pushed it, it over the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a couple things. One thing remember in politics, when uh, as a member of the legislature, when you hear from somebody, they're not usually calling you up and saying, "Man, everything's wonderful. I'm <laughs> glad the way things are going, doing a wonderful job." And by the way, I support Sunday hunting. It's typically I'm mad. They talked about Sunday hunting. I don't want it in my backyard. I don't want to hear from it. So, on the political side, I think usually hear negative reactions, not positive reactions. Right. And every time I talk to a member of the legislature, said, when's the last time he said it's rainbows and unicorns and things are wonderful? Right. It just doesn't happen. Right. It's kind of like our office, too, at times. Right. I, I think one of the game changers that happened this time was the Hunter Supporting Sunday uh, Hunting, mm-hmm. which is a new nonprofit group that started in Pennsylvania and really started that groundswell of getting people at the grassroots engaged. Because that's mm-hmm. what it's been missing in pennsylvania for so long as that grassroots support mm-hmm. you know people think well i'm not going to contact my member of the legislature they don't listen they do listen they absolutely listen and they may not be able to read every letter but somebody's reading those letters and giving a briefing to that member and they're they're hearing what their constituents are saying so to, to think that we don't have as a, a voice in our local community is completely false they do listen 
Um, so, you know, that I think this Hunter, Hunter Supporting Sunday hunting group um, really has helped shift that needle tremendously uh, in Pennsylvania with this go-around. Yeah, and, and they've they've taken a, a little bit of a similar stance as backcountry hunters and anglers with their approach of getting the grassroots going mm-hmm. and contacting yeah. le- your legislators. Because, I mean, before BHA, I never knew that you could actually do that. I was always just like that you could call them and contact them. I remember I filled out a form like it was almost like a general email I was going to send to my local representative, and I just put like, a few of my own words in there, but it was basically a copy and paste. He called me, you know, um, can't remember his last name was, uh, that doesn't really matter. But anyways, where I was living at the time, he called me right away and was like, Hey, what's, you know, I got, what's the I got your letter. Yeah. What can you give me your points? And I talked to him and it was really, you know, really cool about it. And the, the guy was just, was, he listened, let's right. put it that way, you yeah. know? And, and that, that made me feel good. Like, okay. It is possible to get your word out, no matter who you are or right. you know what your concern is. If you have a valid concern and have reasonings behind it, you know the listen. Well, I think too, like doing stuff like that, it's a lot harder. You know, this is just a big reason why people should get involved as much as they're as much as they, they they're capable of. Is that it's really hard to be a jerk, and I use this in in business, like in the business that I work in whenever it's a human on the other side that you're dealing with. Yeah. It's really easy to discount someone when you don't have a face, you don't have a name and, and it's just a random email that came that came in and you have no clue who the person is and how what their feelings are, right? I, I use that in the line of work that, that I'm in. I try to humanize things because it makes it a lot easier to talk through difficult conversations. But to build on what Bo said, I wanted to ask, you know, you brought up BHA and that was kind of where I was going to go. That grassroots kind of approach. Do you think the groundswell of events or organizations like a BHA or even like, you know, QDMA getting more active in terms of grassroots kinds of things. And yes, they still do the habitat management stuff, but they've gotten more active in terms of throwing their, I won't say throwing their weight around, but making it known what their position is, is on things. Do you think people seeing that, Hey, I can be active. I can have a voice and we can actually get some stuff done if we just make the effort. And it's, do you think that, organizations like this are having an impact outside of this organization specifically? Well, I think it's, it's both. I mean, there's no doubt individual, individual organizations, you know, one of the, if you look at the history of these non-governmental agencies that operate now compared to say 40 years ago, 40 years ago, you didn't have an NWTF pheasants forever, backcountry right. hunters and anglers. Uh, it was in Pennsylvania. It was a Pennsylvania Federation of Sportsman Clubs. And it was a very powerful organization. Now what we've seen over the years is these groups have now splintered into these really more specialized niches. Yeah, ducks and deer. And, right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the voice has weakened because mm. they, they've splintered out. What Hunter Supporting Sunday Hunting has done is bring everybody who, a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers or National Turkey Federation or Pheasants Forever, help around a single one issue. Right. Um, and then those individuals can go back to their organizations with that same message. So I think you got to have both. And I, I think, you know, I come from the nonprofit world, and I've worked with nonprofit organizations in my professional career my whole life, and I can't overstate the importance of getting involved in a conservation organization uh, and the impact that these organizations are having because it's big. I right. mean, it's really big. And I, you know, I've been following backcountry hunters and anglers for some time because it's just been mind-blowing at the growth. Yeah. And, and, and what it's really excited many of us about, this group is as i look around this yard is and, and at you two specifically you represent the most difficult age demographic to get involved in keeping hunting right you know you're between 25 and 40 your early career things are hard right now and right. yet you guys are capturing those people and getting them engaged and you're talking about hunting in a lot different way yeah and more of an adventure and camaraderie and uh, the scouting and the the work that goes into it about the place you're going and the people you meet. It's not just about sitting by your tree and waiting for a deer to walk by and, and boom, it's done. hundred percent. It, I mean, it's you yeah, and I, you Bo, and said I that yeah, better. Bo and I were just talking about that earlier today that, you know, and we actually talked about it with land a little bit. Actually it was off, off mic, but you know, just the, it's not about filling a tag anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and just even Bo and I sitting here doing this podcast together, and co-branding it like there's so much divisiveness in the hunting community at times right that 
I think this newer group of, of folks, because it's you know guys like Bo, we have a friend Kevin Vistason in, in in Michigan, you know there's guys like you know this guy D Rock from the East Coast Bow Hunter that are all looking, and then we're not necessarily in the outdoor industry because I, I don't like to use the word industry because I feel like it bastardizes anything that's good <laughs> to a degree <laughs> when you create an industry out of it. Um, but we're all looking to collaborate and work together, share stories, share tips. It's you know. I'd be the first one if there was a big deer that I knew about where Bo lived and say, hey, there's this big deer out here. Here's the GPS pin. Mm-hmm. You should go check it out. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Yeah. Like, it's just, there's yeah, this. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, See, like, look, as, long as, as long as I'm not hunting there, you know. It's like, <laughs> See, my age generation's not like that. You look yeah. at the Gen X's up at the baby boomers. You know, you know. You ask any turkey hunter, we always say any good turkey hunter never tells the truth. Share a turkey? Nope. Didn't hear no thing. You know, yeah. it, that's just the kind of way it is. But. That's why I'm now claiming myself as a millennial. Right. Uh, I, I, will, I want to see people succeed. I want them out there in the woods. Right. And I, I, you know, I, I've harvested deer and turkeys. To me, it's no, it just has nothing to do. I, do I want to harvest yeah. a turkey? Sure. Right. That's the end to an yeah. awesome book I just read, and boom, I got a 100%. turkey, and man, I'm charged up. But don't forget about the rest of the book. It's yeah. such a great adventure and an experience, and I want to see other people enjoying that because there's plenty of places, there's plenty of game, there's plenty of everything for everybody to enjoy it. We just need more people out there because with a national decline in hunter numbers, mm-hmm. one of the things we better watch ourselves as hunters is we become too fragmented and we start fighting with each other yeah. too much, we're going to lose it all. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, oh, I, I agree, and it's it's funny. Like That's when I grew up. My dad's like, you know, the, the way of like we were walking out and someone's coming the other direction. All right. You, you didn't see anything. You didn't, you know, like that's, I was coach. Like, don't tell him you saw it. Right. Ceiling. Nope. You, nope. All right. Have a good one. Good luck. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, there's, there's, there's a time and a place. Yeah. You know and I'm I mean? not, there's, a time, and, yeah. there's a time and a place. I'm not sitting there. I'm going to be like, oh, I saw this giant 10 point in there. It was right over here. Here's the coordinates. You know, I'm hunting there, but if you want to check it out, it's all of our woods. I'm not going to do that. But, right. Right. Well, cause you know, I had a buddy recently that literally used to live around where I live. Um, and I met him through just, he used to, he was, I think he listened to the show and then we have a mutual friend and he got a hold of our mutual friend and said, Hey, I used to live out of realm where Clint, Clint lives and he now lives in Ohio and I don't think he's going to get back to hunt it or maybe at all. And he's like, I got some, I got some pins on on X that I've seen some really good deer out there that, you know, if, if you think he's okay with it, if you'd give me his number, I'll, I'd like to send him the pins and see if, see if those spots are still hot. Yeah. And so my buddy called me and said, hey, is this cool? And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, if he's got a beat on good deer and can help me get on some good deer, I was like, I'm all about it. Texting me, sharing pins, phone call, giving me the heads up of like where his stand placements were, like what it looked like, what, you know, what crops were in around it and stuff like that. So I don't know that 15 years ago that would have ever happened. It's a generational thing. It's that millennial generation. That's your sharing information wired a little bit differently yeah um and you know you know i hear people picking on the millennials my son's a millennial man i wish i was a millennial um you know this is in my opinion one of the greatest generations to come out uh they work hard they're very creative they value their personal time they value their families um you know when i look back the generation before me you know all all the dads went to deer camp because well i worked all year this is my time to go out with the guys yeah your generation doesn't even think like that mm-hmm. my kids can't come with me i'm not going to deer camp is more along usually the that generation so, so right it, I'm, I'm actually excited for the future of hunting's watching this generation that's coming through the pipeline yeah. i just want more of them in there because you know just as our senior hunters are so important to us because those are the mentors those are the people that are teaching other people to hunt our right. senior lifetime license holders are so valuable we need more of you guys when it comes your day to be in that yeah. cohort in that place right and i think you know building on that and talking about how we we talk about it a little bit differently you were mentioning it's about the adventure it's about the scouting it's about the pro about the process i think that also leads into and you know i'd like to hear your opinion on this bow that i think we in doing so we're helping ourselves kind of create a better narrative and when i say narrative i don't want i don't want people to think about that in terms of like a false sense or like a marketing narrative right we're learning to build our narrative and how we should be talking to folks who are non-hunters to paint ourselves, not paint ourselves, but to position ourselves in a, in a truthful and best light. I think right? you're, you're developing a new brand for hunting that has been desperately needed for so long. You know, the brand is you're just regular people out there having a good time. Yep. You're inclusive. Um, you know, you, 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 you speak of conservation. It's part of who you are. You are rebranding hunting for what it was in that's, past years. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, no, that's you're exactly right. I mean, and the way I I think of it is, you know, you talk to a lot of people, and even growing up, I I kind of thought this way was, oh, I'll never apologize for being a hunter, and I don't mean that you should, 
But what I mean by that is make sure you're putting out in the most respectful light. Like, you know, with the age of social media and stuff we have now, you know, if if, if you're, you know, not to go down a complete rabbit hole of like, you oh, know. take us down a rabbit uh, hole, bro. <laughs> you're, you're the rabbit hole master. I know, I know, I know. But with like, you know, just untasteful photos that yeah. maybe you, you can send, say you yeah. and I were texting, yeah. send it, and you wouldn't be offended by it or anything, but just being careful with it and trying to create that positive light that we that we really truly do enjoy that whole experience well, it's honoring it's honoring the heritage it's honoring the yeah. process and it's honoring the animal and yeah you know what exactly I mean? it's like, honoring the animal and the people around you yeah yes. i mean we can't you know it's it, it, this isn't something you you turn it in. it's not about political correctness it's about respect yeah, for 100%. other people who may not understand your values and your heritage but i can tell you what if you don't respect their values and you present a deer with its tongue hanging out and bloods everywhere You'll never, you'll never get them to support. Honey, you got for one sure. chance to make a first impression. Yep, plain and simple. Absolutely. You know what I mean. And and what is what foot do you want to put forward exactly. as a group? Yep. You know, and that's kind of how I always try to try to think about it, right? And I I understand people say that you know I should be able to post it however however I want to. Yeah, you are allowed to post it however you want to, but you're also going to endure whatever those consequences are, yep. right? Well, I've always said I was always interested in possibly going to law school growing up, and constitutional law was like one of my favorite classes in in, in college. And I loved free speech. Like the First Amendment was, of course, one of my favorite because it was always so misinterpreted, right? Because people assumed that free speech meant that there was no consequence for their speech. It's like, no, it's actually the opposite of that. You're free to say whatever you want and be an idiot if you would like. <laughs> but there is an equal and opposite <laughs> consequence for idi- idiocy. Yeah. And, you will, and you'll find out what that looks like. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's kind of how I always approached it. And I think we're seeing more and more people begin to approach it that way. Absolutely. Um, And I think those, you know, it's um, not that I want people to fit out right, but I think people, I think there's this sense of pressure in in some groups of like being able, and I don't want to say fit in, but assimilating to how we need to act, right? I put it in the sense of like, if you go to a job that's, you know, or a new company, and I just joined a new company that's very family oriented, very tight knit, it's a small group. In the first like 30 days, like you're either going to fit in or fit out. Right. It's like they you're going to know whether or not that's going to be a place for you long term or whether you probably need to be looking for somewhere else just because they have a definitive culture that you need to fit into. Right. And they hire for that. I think hunting started to become the same where there are more and more people every day trying to approach it. And I don't want to say the right way because there's I haven't written a book on the rule of like how we should be as, as hunters. But I think there's an unspoken kind of understanding, moral and ethical compass that we all want our brothers and sisters to follow. Mm -hmm. And if you're not following that, it becomes pretty apparent and, and you kind of look like a jerk, you know what I mean? And that social pressure either makes you adapt and rethink or makes you be quiet. You know what I mean? To a degree. And then you have the opposite, which is the 10% who's just loud and obnoxious. And yeah, you want to, you want to, do you want to create a brand that looks like the stereotype that's painted, unfortunately of a few, or do you want to be what, Really, the majority of our hunters are, yeah. which are great people that love love the environment, love love wildlife, love their families, love their friends. And we can have differences, hundred percent. We can all be different. Yeah. You know what I mean. And we don't have to all do it the same no, way. But can. if it all turkey comes... hunting is more fun than right. Doing. <laughs> no, it's <just> true. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I want to jump to this next this next topic because uh, if I talk anything about turkey hunting, it's a losing conversation yes. for me since I'm the world's worst turkey hunter, admittedly, except for Boxy. He knocks his front teeth out with the shotgun. Yeah, it's pretty close <laughs> told to me, that. Told yeah. me that story last night. It was a good one. Yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to the other big thing that kind of happened in the state as far as hunting is concerned is hunting season changes, yes. right? The, the dates that, that are changing. Saturday opener. Yeah, Saturday opener for deer season. You would have thought that the world possibly was coming to an end with the firestorm that happened on, on social media. So if you could just give us a little background about where that came from and you know how that's kind of changing yeah for you know, several decades now the su- monday has always been the yeah. opener uh for our rifle deer season you know and and deer hunting is a an amazing tradition here in pennsylvania when i say about traditions i mean with pennsylvania i don't think there's any state that has a stronger deer hunting culture and tradition than pennsylvania mm-hmm. um so one of the challenges that we have uh in hunting we've talked about this before is you know keep keeping people involved in hunting and creating more opportunities, reducing barriers is probably a, a better, better way yeah. to look at it. And when you look at the numbers, and I look at hunters that come through a pipeline. So you start out in Pennsylvania, maybe you start out, you're 11, you get your hunter safety. Maybe you started as a mentor, but you're 11, you come in and you get your hunter safety course. And I get a big group of potential hunters that come in, and of that big pot of 
young to-be hunters, a few of them transition and actually purchase a hunting license and actually go hunting. What you end up seeing is right when they hit about those college years, it plummets. Yeah. And then it plummets and it stays down there for quite some time till you know, really get into the late 40s and 50s. You know, why is that happening? Well, it makes perfect sense. You know, you go to college, you don't have time to hunt. The only time I haven't hunted in my life, I only did it one semester. It was such a bad semester, I actually grounded myself from hunting because <laughs> I'm such an addicted hunter. I was afraid I wouldn't get my work done, so right. I grounded myself. It's the only time in my life I didn't buy a hunting license, um, <laughs> and it was just for one spring. Uh, but when we look at the Saturday opener, we know that we need that that 25 to 35 because right now, okay, you're out of college, you're you're just starting your career. You don't have any vacation days built up, or if you're not a, if you're working a trade somewhere, you're in, maybe in a union. You don't have any seniority. You don't have the time. If you do get time, it's not going to be a weekend. I guarantee you that. Right. So we got these early professionals that are out there and the, and they're working their careers, and they got young families and all the demands that come onto them for their families. And um, you know, we talked about changes in generations. Since generations very much tied to their families, and and. That Saturday opener was designed to provide that opportunity, especially for this age, this 25 to 35, 40-year-olds, to give them more opportunity uh, to get out there and at least get out, be, have a chance to get out there on first day of rifle season. Right. You know, you still have many places in Pennsylvania schools that allow that Monday. So they got the Monday, but now they've got that Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. Now, imagine if we were to get Sunday hunting in there. Yeah. Then you great. talk about what's happening, the decline of hunters going to the north central part of the state. You know, they say, well, there's, there's just not as many deer. Now, there's plenty of deer in north central Pennsylvania. I spent yeah. way too much time up there. Some absolutely fat, knock your socks off deer hunting in that part of the state. But at gas being over $3, about $3 a gallon, am I going to go up for one day? Right. I'm not. No. Not when I've got so much deer where I live in Harrisburg and I've access to yeah. Lebanon and all those other kinds. I've got tons of deer down there. But for me to go up there just for a day, spend all that money on gas just to hunt one day, you know, you know. Now I understand the discussions around the tradition because the camps they meet with another camp and they do right. those things. I think it, that's more of a, a, a generational change too. In that, you know, I'm a hunter. I, you know, when I'm going out, I love to see my buddies that belong to the deer camp. I belong mm-hmm. to a state lease camp, you know, traditional yep. deer camp. Love getting to see those guys. I see them throughout the year. We have meetings about quarterly. We go up for work days and we do all these things. Um, but when I want, when I want to go up there, I want to hunt. Right. I'm not going up there to drink and play cards and tell stories. I'm there because I love to hunt and I want to be out in the woods. Yep. And in fact, what's ironic or not ironic's not the good word. What's interesting to me about the Saturday opener, just from a personal standpoint, my son, as I mentioned before, we turkey hunted. We didn't get a chance to really do much deer hunting. This year, this Saturday, will be the first day he'll be able to ever deer hunt with me nice. in his 25 years of life. You know, he lives in North yeah. Carolina. He'll be able to come up for Thanksgiving. It's great. We'll probably spend Friday, fall turkey hunting. We'll go to camp. We'll go ahead and hunt on Saturday. And then he has time now to get back to, to North Carolina because he's got a new job with no time off. Yeah. So. No, that's awesome. So that's why it was put in place. And we're going to monitor closely. You know, this was a probably the most hotly debated, discussed topic i've ever seen our board members our commissioners discuss uh there was a lot of heartache there was a lot of review there was a lot of looking at this and we're going to be monitoring it very close through uh survey work we're going to be surveying to see what impact is this actually having on deer hunting because we don't you know we understand the folks that say their traditions have been harmed some of their traditions are i went to Ohio, and I hunted Saturday and Sunday, and then right. I come to Pennsylvania on Monday, um, yeah. and I get that. And, you know, I can really sympathize with the out-of-state hunters saying, you know, I get up there and I go for Thanksgiving, and I don't have much time to get over there, or I, I live in Ohio, and I uh, have Thanksgiving in Ohio for me to get to Pennsylvania. It's tough. You know, any change that the agency ever makes yeah. helps some people and hurts other people. So we're going to be looking at this very closely, yeah. uh, but our commissioners put a whole lot of time to do this, and they wanted to do it for the right reason. Um, I think it's going to be a, a very successful. And in fact, our first four days of license sales have been higher than I've ever seen them. Oh, wow. Uh, in the last four days. It's, really? That's it, great. Yeah, I just looked at them first four days. General, just the general hunting license, which is the one I look at probably the most. Right. Yeah. It was up 25%. Wow. So for wow. Four, That's great. Over last yeah. year. So why it's why is it that i i'm not going to say it's saturday open or i'm not going to say i don't know but yeah it could also just be it could also just be that we've been talking about it a lot yeah right? you know exactly. what I mean? it's like it's it, it's getting press right people yeah. are thinking about hunting again it's kind of at the forefront of the conversation for people to, who have any type of hunting hunting interest yeah and i want go ahead Bo. Uh, i was just gonna say i never used to buy my hunting license right when they first came out like i always just waited right before to put the doe tags in i'd 
run and hurry up and pick it up because I was running late, you know. And and this year, for some reason, I'm like, oh, there was a lot of press on it. And I got emails and game commission and everything. This is going on. And the elk changes that season, which is a whole other topic. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I better get my license, you know. So I bought it earlier than I normally would. Right. Just My tradition is usually the 4th of July is yeah. when I go because I'm usually back home. And so I usually take me and my daughter go to the small hardware store in our hometown while we're visiting family and we go pick up our mm-hmm. hunting license is usually like the tradition. But I wanted to say something about tradition, right? Because I think that we use that word a lot as, as hunters and as a community. Um, but I think that we sometimes get lost in what it actually what it actually means. Tradition doesn't necessarily mean that something stays the same, Right. Tradition, like anything else, is meant to evolve. Or does it cover everybody? Or does it and cover traditions everybody? Traditions are individual. Right. You know, so it's like, I, I think that when we talk about tradition as hunters, like, we have to understand that we shouldn't be so selfish as to want to hold it in, in one place, right? We talk about, I'm a dad, right? So people out there that don't have kids, maybe they won't be able to relate, but, you know, looking at Bo <laughs> with his rut stash, that thing, that thing might get you some kids, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> the... Uh, um, you know, it's, my daughter's getting older. She's 10, right? Um, when I say older, um, but she's turning into like a little person, like a, yeah. you know, it's like she's, her personality is defined. Like she's got like, you know, things that are important to her and stuff like that. And as a dad, like, I just want to hold her so close and not let her get too far away because I don't want anything to change. I still miss the days, even though there were miserable days when she was little and I was changing her diapers and feeding her and giving her a bath and all that stuff, right? And I couldn't wait until she got old enough to do all those things herself. And everyone out there listening, I promise I'm going to make a hunting point here in a second. Um, you know, but now that she's not asking me to do those things or need those things anymore, I kind of miss it, right? And as she's getting older and I'm getting older and thinking about these things, it's like I recognize that my job has changed. My job has changed from one of like constant care to to constant guidance. And I think if we look at hunting that way, that our job is not constant care and holding it in the one place. Our job really as hunters is to provide constant guidance to always make sure that we are protecting the group as a whole and expanding it as much as we can. So everyone gets to enjoy, or as many people as possible, get the opportunity to enjoy the thing that, things that we've enjoyed for so long as folks who have hunted since they were kids, right? And so that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, don't try to hold it in one place because you, it's like trying to hold water. It'll never happen, and you'll end up ruining it for, for other people and probably for yourself at some point. But just appreciate it, watch it grow, watch it adapt, and be the change that you want to see in it, yeah. you know? Because traditions are different from anybody. There's a, a camp culture. In yeah. North Central Pennsylvania has a tradition of its own, very unique, and I, I am part of that culture as well. But there's individual cultures. I know people that they wait for first day of small game. They may go out and hunt pheasants. That's they get their kids, and they that's what they do. And traditions change through time, and you know it's, yeah. it was changing in your family dynamics. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know my son. I couldn't wait till Youth Spring Turkey Day. I mean, that was my right. tradition that we developed. Yeah. And then he went and grew up on me. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think we covered a lot of ground. We've been on here for about an hour. I want to be sensitive to your time because I know you got some some other, you know, responsibilities and some things, priorities to take care of I today. just have you appreciate you having me on here and yeah. Yeah. talking about hunting and conservation. Doesn't get any better than that unless yeah. it was more turkey hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need, yeah, truth from something else that uh, goes with turkey hunting for the next right, podcast yeah, yeah. that Brian would be into, you know. <laughs> All right, Brian, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks hey, so much. Thank you. You yeah. bet. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.